0: Welcome back to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast, where it's our goal to help create better, more knowledgeable HVAC and building performance technicians by helping these two professions to better understand each other, work together, and with the ultimate goal of making customers happy in the homes they live in and the buildings they work in. Today was an especially enjoyable episode. I got to speak with Chris Stevens, my friend, Chris Stevens, and about the power of big picture thinking. He's the owner of a refrigeration business and a social media influencer extraordinaire. There are really so many nuggets to mine out of this episode. I hope you spend the time to listen to them all. He's really a multidimensional person, not in the science fiction way, like he can walk through walls or anything, but his big picture concept, which he uses in all aspects of his life. And I can summarize it as slow down, take a step back, look at the big picture. Take a look in the show notes for a little bit more detail on this. We also talk about the lost art of evacuation, the genesis of the two social media projects, one he started and one he works in, HVACR videos and HVAC overtime links in the show notes, of course, and his personal home performance journey or project. And I sneak in a question, his perspectives on electrification, him being a resident in Southern California, where a lot's going on in that regard. Really hope you get to listen to the whole episode and enjoy it and give us feedback. You can reach me at Bill at TrueTechTools.com. Thanks, and let's listen in as Chris and I talk about the power of big picture thinking.
1: Good morning, Chris. Morning, Bill. How are you today? Great. It's an early morning for you, Chris. Where are you located? I am located in Southern California. I'd like to say sunny Southern California, but I woke up and it's raining. Didn't even know it was supposed to rain.
0: Yeah, it's pretty bad. We're recording this in mid-April of 2023 and there's some wild weather going on out there.
1: Yeah, this is the wettest rainy season we have had, I believe, on record. It's been pretty bizarre. I heard a couple weeks ago we had over 49 days of rain in the last couple months and I know that's gotten, that number's gone higher. So it's been interesting. Give us a quick
0: background on the work you do, then we'll talk about the social media aspect afterwards. But also talk about the work you do and then maybe how the weather's affecting you.
1: I'm a commercial refrigeration technician. I work with primarily light commercial refrigeration and air conditioning. We do restaurant work. That's like 99.9% of the work we do as restaurants. So it's a unique part of the industry in that we have challenges that we have to work within dealing with customers and everybody has to deal with customers. But for us, we have to deal with the politics of corporations and how their budgets change. And it's definitely an interesting side of the industry. So we have slow times, we have busy times, and we have to work within limited time frames of being able to work in these restaurants because obviously they have to open. It's very important that the kitchens need to be operating by 10 a.m. So we have very small windows to be able to repair the equipment. And it's definitely fun. It is definitely fun. And as far as the rain The rain has definitely put a damper on everything because for us, what we consider to be construction work, which really is like retrofit replacements of equipment, changing out evaporators and condensers for refrigeration equipment where oftentimes part of it's on the roof. Yeah, it's been a challenge. We have a backlog of work sitting in our shop right now because we have limited times which we can work within these restaurants. So it's been a challenge for sure.
0: Are you owner, manager in which your company?
1: I'm co owner in the company. I'm second generation. My father started the company in the late 80s, and he's basically got three feet out the door at this point. He has been telling me he's wanted to retire for the last couple of years. And I'm like, please, no, please, no, not yet. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And really, what I find, I've been reflecting on that a lot lately, but what I find is that I really appreciate his insight and the ability to be able to talk to him and work through problems. He hasn't worked physically really in the industry for probably the last eight years. He's just been administrative and just helping me with office work and stuff. But yeah, he's pretty much told me he's done. (laughs) So let's take it or lose it. Here we are now. So it's been fun. But yeah, we have run the company together. I've learned pretty much everything that I know from my father. And I say that quite often And it's been good and bad information. And I don't fault him for the bad information because the industry definitely was different when he started his business and everything has changed and the way that we have to do things has changed. So I was taught some ways that maybe weren't the proper way to do things, but they worked for the time. And then I had to adapt and learn new ways to do things. Can you cite like an
0: example or two and some of the major changes that you're thinking of right now?
1: Yeah, definitely. The changes would be with evacuation is a really big one when we're talking about refrigeration systems. So there's a common thing that happens within the industry when you go on social media and especially people that have been in the industry for a very long time, they'll comment like, oh yeah, this new vacuum stuff that you have to do. And in reality, it's not new. That stuff, and you know this well, it's not new. It's just that we kind of forgot it and learned because the systems and the refrigerants and the oils that we were dealing with were very forgiving. It wasn't as critical. And when I say as, that's a big air quotes with that because it was important, but people just didn't follow the proper practice for a very long time and they got used to it. So that's a really big one. I again came up working with my father from a young age. So I can remember a time when we didn't recover refrigerant. This was before it was you had to. And there's a lot of changes. And then the technology now, the technology is amazing and scary at the same time that's coming into the industry when it comes to refrigeration or air conditioning. It's the tools and things that we have access to allows us to be able to test equipment further than we've ever been able to test it before. And Sometimes, especially with the older generations, they don't even understand what those readings mean. So it's having to learn that airflow really does matter. Another example of something that I was taught was to charge refrigeration systems or especially air conditioning systems simply by pressure instead of paying attention to the actual operation and looking at the big picture, looking at the airflow, looking at everything. So the term beer can cold is something that we often use as a joke. And I was taught beer can cold. So Again, I'm not faulting my father because it wasn't just him. It was the entire industry doing that. But it's having to adapt and change from those. And with the new technology we have in the equipment coming out, or that is already here, the equipment's not as forgiving either. It requires, and especially with all the sensors and the onboard diagnostics that the equipment has on it, the equipment will shut itself down if it's not working right. Before, you could just run it and run it and run it until it died. And that doesn't work anymore. A couple of comments
0: in there, very interesting from a little different perspective. I think a lot of equipment now is designed closer to the edge of performance. And when you get so close to the edge of the performance, one slip, you fall off. That's my thinking. That's the visual that I have there.
1: Would you agree? I agree in learning about the industry more. I learn every day and learning more about sizing equipment. And again, it was always drilled in my head that you oversized equipment for the longest time. You would oversize equipment. That way it would work at all times of the year and you'd be good to go. When in reality, that's not quite correct. We're learning to, again, like you said, design to the edge of its operating limits. We're learning to not oversized equipment. So that way we get longer run times. And so that way we get more efficiency out of it. And that's all new changes. And I'm going through that right now, replacing the air conditioner in my own home, having to learn how to do that too.
0: That's right. We're going to delve into that, but you said something in the last few minutes, you said, you got to look at the big picture. Okay, there's your lead
1: in. (laughs) What's the big picture mean to you? The big picture for me was a desperate attempt to stop getting callbacks on myself. That's what it was. Again, coming up in the industry, I learned from my mistakes. And I've certainly made a lot of mistakes coming up. And I just got fed up with the amount of callbacks. I've always been a person that reflects on myself whenever I have a problem. People post on social media. and I'm just using an example. And sometimes I go off on these tangents. But people post on social media, hey, how do I approach my boss to get a raise? How do I approach my boss to talk to him because I don't feel like he's happy with me right now or something like that. And I'll always answer to that person. Always start and reflect on yourself. Really look at yourself and think, is there anything that I can do to change myself? So the whole big picture diagnoses thing that came up with myself, it's like a mantra, I guess now, is it was because I had so many callbacks where a customer would call me, I would try to fix something it wouldn't work right, then I'd have to go back and it just got frustrating. So I started to get so fed up with myself, with my callbacks, that I really started to slop, stop, slow down, and really start to look at the big picture. And so now, as I say this, it sounds corny to myself because all these little catchphrases I have, but... I really try to make sure that I fix the problem and not just the symptom now. So when I'm diagnosing anything, and it's really not just with air conditioning and refrigeration, it became about my whole life is like looking at the big picture. Like, what's the repercussion? If we take this shortcut, what's going to happen? Sometimes you still have to take a shortcut, but just even understanding what the repercussions could be. Acknowledge it. Yeah, acknowledge it. Okay, I'm going to take a shortcut. There's a possibility that. This might go down the wrong path, but I know where it's going to go if it does, and I know how to correct it if it does. Yeah, so calculated steps. For sure. And I've found that the whole big picture diagnoses thing has saved my butt and become something that has made me a more thorough person, has made me, as corny as this sounds, a better father, a better husband, everything. Because I really do think about, as much as I can, think about everything. Now, I'm sure there's some undiagnosed mental disorder within that of how I hyper obsess about things, but I always try to reflect on everything and just try to do my best.
0: You mentioned something a while back there about evacuation, it being considered new stuff. Jim
1: Bergman and I have talked about the lost art or lost culture of HVAC. Definitely. And I'm going to pull out the book that you guys have right here. I believe you have something to do with this book too, right? Yeah. I sort of rescued it from infamy
0: by buying the copyright for what it's worth and then turn it over to Jim and Brian Orr and a couple others to take the old 1959 edition and add some new stuff to it. So
1: it's called a review of... Review of Vacuum for Service Engineers. And one of my favorite things about this, when people make the comment that, oh, we didn't used to have to do that vacuum stuff, that's all that new stuff, is you look at the original published data of this and it's like, yeah, you did. All the stuff that we do today, minus the digital instruments we use today, are still the same. The principles of refrigeration are still the same. They haven't really changed. Now there's new technology that's come out in the industry, but this one makes me laugh for sure when people make those comments. And it's like, no, it's not new.
0: It's so old. It's as old as I am. The copyright date is my birth year, 1959. That's funny. That is very funny. That was like also part of the magnetism for me to do something with it. So I could talk about it like this. That's funny.
1: When did you get started in doing social media in your videos? And tell us a little bit about that. So my videos were started out of desperation, made some mistakes at my company, and I lost four employees all within a short timeframe because I was ignoring their needs. And there was probably fault on both sides, but I'm going to take ownership of it because as a business owner, had I been paying attention to my employees' needs, had I been paying attention to the culture at my company maybe I wouldn't have been put in this situation. Maybe some guys were just sick of working with us and they wanted to move on and that's fine. But I lost four employees in a short amount of time and I found myself desperately hiring employees. And I hired experienced technicians, but they weren't experienced quite in the way that I do things. Now, I will fully admit that I'm a very particular person. I'm peculiar, whatever you want to call it. And I have a very methodical way that I want people to approach problems. So I started filming videos when I was on service calls. And ironically, you can go back to my YouTube channel and you can scroll all the way back. I think I'm right at 800 videos. You can scroll back to the very first video. And that truly was the first video that I made on my channel. And it was never meant to be public. It was meant for my employees as a training aid. So it was a very meticulous service call where I had a bad fuse on a refrigeration system. And I spent three and a half hours going through the system, finding out why the fuse went bad. And I was trying to preach to my new employees, look, we don't just change fuses. I was trying to teach them that fuses in my eyes do not go bad. Something made them go bad. Now, I'll get comments from people saying, well, there's some weird intricacies where a fuse can go. Okay, but that's fine. But if you teach people that, then they're always going to lean on that when they have a bad fuse. So if you teach someone that a fuse doesn't go bad, and you tell them, You do everything you can to try to find that problem. Now, so throughout the video, I'm going through and I'm tracing down all the potential problems. And I found it It was a very small wire that had a nick in the insulation on the wire and it was arcing to ground and it caused the fuse to go bad. So that's the videos that I create on social media now under my YouTube channel, HVACR videos. That's exactly how they started. They started as a training aid for my employees. I was very reluctant to hit the public button. Someone convinced me to do it, a friend of mine, and I did it. And then it just turned into this machine that evolved into what it is today. Now, I would argue that I still don't even treat it like I should treat it, the social media thing that I've created, because what I do is when I go out to a service call, I turn on my phone. And the way that I troubleshoot problems is probably a little different than some people, but I talk to myself, okay? So if I wasn't filming my videos, I would still be talking to myself when I'm running through a service call. That's how I troubleshoot is vocally out loud, just talking to myself. So I just decided to turn on my camera and just start working through the service call. And then I edit the videos and post them on YouTube. And apparently some people get some benefit out of it. So it's kind of a cool little thing that happened by accident. That's amazing. What's the following you got there? Subscribers? YouTube is about 160,000 subscribers. So it's definitely very humbling. Let's just say that. it's it, Again, it's still hard for me to wrap my brain around the people. And it's interesting too, the subscribers don't even really mean anything. As a content creator, what I've had to learn is, is subscribers are something you look for when you're first starting your channel. But in reality, the subscribers do not equate to the views. And for last year, the total channel views, I think it was something around 14 million just for last year, I think, I think is what it was. Is it hours? No, that's views. People watching videos, 14 million. So yeah, it's pretty interesting. So again, it's uncomfortable for me to talk about that because I don't like to make it sound like I'm bragging or anything, but it also is no, so cool. its a fact. Yeah.
0: And you do talk to yourself. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a given. That's a known thing. I'll make a suggestion here. Just keep an earbud in so someone thinks you're on the phone
1: and they don't call for mental health. My employees, it's kind of a joke because to this day, they'll ask me, what? From across the room, I'm not talking to you. What? And you can ask any one of them. They'll be like, oh yeah, Chris just talks to himself. Like they're always thinking I'm talking to them. And then I have to remember because sometimes I am talking to them and then they don't listen. And it's like, hey, oh, I didn't know you were talking to me. And it's like, I can't fault them for that because I talk to myself all the time. So you said that was eight years ago you started that? No, I started the YouTube channel in November of 2017. So was that five, six years? Almost six years. Yeah, five and a half.
0: And then there's another
1: group you're involved with, three other fellows? Yeah. So again, social media has allowed us to communicate with people. Honestly, you and I probably wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't for social media. As much as sometimes I get frustrated with social media, I have to acknowledge the fact that it's allowed us to communicate with people that we otherwise probably wouldn't have ever communicated with and started making content myself. But then at the same time, I started watching and consuming HVAC content. And some friends of mine, Adam Muffich, Bill Russell, a gentleman named Joe from Canada, there's a joke behind that because we genuinely don't know anything about Joe. He won't share it with us. That is crazy. He tells us that he lives in Canada, but we truly don't know for sure. And we don't know his last name. So I can never introduce his last name. I do not know what his last name is. So anyways, we do a show Friday evenings called the HVAC Overtime Show. It is a great fun time. The best way I could say it is like four guys sitting down after work, about three to four beers in at the bar. And that's what the show is to us. It is a very uncensored, just very unfiltered conversation. Sometimes we talk about air conditioning. Sometimes we talk about not air conditioning. I mean, it's just random. And we just have fun with it. We've built a following. And it's just fun for us just to release steam, whatever you want to say, and just relax. Very interesting.
0: You do some very generous things too through your channel, dude. And I know I'm going to force you to talk about it. I try.
1: So obviously with my YouTube channel, I make revenue from that because you get paid from Google AdSense. I have sponsors that want to advertise on my channel. And I try to think of a cool way that I could give back to people. People that consume my content, people that donate to my channel financially, like I try to give back to everybody, but I'm a different type of a person and I don't like to do things the same way as everybody else. I like to be different. So each year for the last three years, I have tried to come up with a different way of giving back to the industry in my own peculiar way. So the first year I asked a question on social media. And I randomly picked, it was a question about talking to, again, I feel bad saying this, but I was talking to fathers, okay? I was talking to men and I was saying, hey, what's the one tool that you want to buy, but you haven't bought because for whatever reason, you've just put it off to the side. Now, when I say I feel bad for saying that, obviously, there's more than just men in this industry. So I've had to change the way. But when I first started doing it, I wasn't thinking big like that. And I was talking... Even though the first year, too, there was women that were winners in the thing, too. But anyways, as I go off on tangents, I apologize about that. But I asked them, what was the one tool that you wish you could buy for yourself, but you just haven't prioritized it? And I had a budget. And what I did within that budget, the people that answered the question, they had no idea that it was a contest. It wasn't even a contest. They had no idea that I was just going to randomly pick. I don't remember how many people it was, six or eight. Maybe more than that, I don't remember. But we picked a bunch of people. And because of your generous help and True Tech Tools also, between myself and True Tech Tools, we were able to provide several people with those tools that they didn't even know they were going to get. It was a really fun thing to do. So we sent these tools out to several different people. I learned some things about that first time. I learned about taxes, and I learned about 1099s, and I learned about how there's gift limits. And that was an interesting thing. So I learned not to give away physical tools anymore. (laughs) And the second year we did it again, but I didn't want to, and we called it an end of the year giveaway. The funny thing too, and I think you and I maybe even talked about this. The first year I called it a Christmas giveaway, but then I felt really guilty because someone reached out to me after that I randomly picked and he was like, I can't accept this gift because of his religion. And I felt so guilty. And I said, look, I apologize it wasn't meant to be a Christmas gift. It was meant to be out of my generosity, a gift to you. And then I had to learn to change the way that I did this and the titles that I gave it basically. So we've done it three or four years, but each year we picked a different way to give away these tools because I didn't want people looking forward to the video, waiting for that question the next year. So then I picked a totally random way of doing it the following year. And this last year was a fun one. This previous let's see, we're 2023 right now. So December of 2022, what I did was I picked other social media content creators that maybe their channels weren't as big as mine. And I picked a bunch of random social media content creators. And I gave them a tool and gave them a tool or gift cards this time a gift card and then a gift card to give away so that way they could do giveaways on their platforms and help to grow their channels. So It was a fun process. And I look forward to continuing to do it. Each year, I try to allocate a little more money to try to if I can increase the budget, and just try to help people. So it's been fun. I'm learning that I like giving things away. I like that feeling that you get from it from helping someone else. It's just a fun, rewarding, I guess maybe it's even selfish. I don't know. But it's cool. I get you. There's a lot of people that
0: are uh, Very spectrums of the generosity, but you're certainly way, way high up
1: there, and thank you for doing that. Yeah, and thank you guys for being part of the project. It's been fun.
0: Oh, you're welcome. So you run a business,
1: is that right? Yes, I run a refrigeration and air conditioning business. My service company is called JVS Refrigeration, Light Commercial Refrigeration and Air Conditioning, and it's definitely a challenge. Obviously, that's what created my or started my content on social media was the business needing employees and help and training. But it is definitely a challenge. It's definitely a love-hate relationship, (laughs) to say the least. But it's a fun, rewarding experience to be part of something that supports other families, that gives people opportunities and gives myself and my family opportunities. So I enjoy it. Does your
0: characteristic of the, we'll say you're on the obsessive side about detail, obsessive on detail, does that flow into the business? Does
1: it help? Does it hurt? It's comfortable you're talking about this. It hurts the business at times in that the employees have a hard time keeping up with my expectations. And I have to understand and reflect when... I ask the guys to do something and they push back or I wouldn't even say push back, but they're like, Hey, that sounds a little difficult. I don't think we can do it with the extreme detail that you expect on that aspect. So I do have to be aware that I am a different type of person and I'm very peculiar about the way that I do things. But on the flip side, I am fortunate enough to work for a business that again, second generation, my father started it, but we have... A customer base that goes back since my dad started the business in the late 80s, we still have some of the same customers. And most of our customers are word of mouth. We don't advertise. It's been a restaurant manager leaves a restaurant, goes to a new restaurant chain, or builds them their way up into the corporate office. And we have a reputation that I'm very proud of. What's interesting is that my customers, and this is a cool little fact, but my customers, They're big national chains across the country, and they appreciate the fact that we take our time and spend more time on the jobs. You would think that it would be the opposite, but because they're these big national chains, the corporate offices realize that there's not the greatest work ethic within most of the industry or a good majority of the industry. So they have contractors all over the country, and it's like they have a hard time getting the contractors to do the job and take the time and do it right and find the real problems. So you think that even though they have corporate budgets and they cut their budgets and they're constantly trying to control spending, but at the same time, they appreciate and are okay with the fact that we take our time and we spend a little more time on the jobs. I was a little nervous when I started making content on YouTube because working for these big corporate chains, they're like, you're never going to get a full corporate approval to be able to film on their property. It's just not going to happen. When you think about lawyers and legal and all this different stuff, it's just not going to happen. So I've always been very discreet when I film. I make sure that I don't show restaurant locations, identifying object, mountain ranges in the background that people can triangulate and people still figure it out, but there's a whole aspect to it, right? So on a side note, those are the only comments I ever delete. I always leave, even if people criticize or whatever, I don't care if they leave those comments, but if they ever try to guess restaurant names, correct or incorrect, I always delete those comments because I don't want to encourage that. But the corporate office, I was very nervous when I started making content. But long story short, they're okay with it. They've basically said keep doing what you're doing because they realize that their restaurants are all the same across the country. So if someone watches my content and watches the way that I fix something, that helps them across the country. Other restaurants, service companies are watching those videos too and learning how to fix their equipment. So it benefits the companies as a whole. So they actually have given me approval. That's pretty cool. Do you ever? get
0: pulled in a direction for the business and have to put the brakes on, like diverging from
1: your focus? Yeah, I struggle with that because in all different aspects, I'm trying to balance a refrigeration company, my family, and a social media business. And I'm trying to balance all three of them. And the number one focus is my family. The number two focus is my refrigeration company. And then the social media business is the third. But ironically, the social media business is almost demanding me more than the refrigeration company it's a weird balance between the two but on two different ways i'm going to answer that question number one i have to make sure that i give all my focus to the refrigeration business because i need the refrigeration business to make my content even though i have more fun at times editing the videos and interacting with people i have to focus on the refrigeration business With the refrigeration business, though, another thing is that it's very easy to get pulled into a direction where you really don't want your company to go as far as the workload and the type of equipment you take on. As a business, I have a customer, let's just say I used to have a customer that was a hospital. And they're like, hey, we want you to come start servicing our equipment and it starts light but then next thing you know they're having you work on super scientific equipment they're having you work on stuff that's right at the edge of my abilities let alone my employees abilities so i definitely have to be careful and i've learned from that experience with that hospital customer that i have to be able to say no to certain stuff and i have to know the limitations of my own company and that's not a fault on my employees that's just a fault on the type of business that I run. With that particular hospital customer, I was having so much fun because it was challenging me, but I wasn't paying attention. And I might have just had an epiphany. But at the time, I wasn't paying attention to how much it was putting strain on my employees. And that was also about the time that I lost several employees. So I've had to learn that like, I have to stay within my lane when it comes to my company and what I can't necessarily push my guys further than they want to be pushed with the type of equipment and that they're working on it. And I'm talking like when I was doing some of the scientific work, we're working on a scientific refrigerator, you walk up to it and you're like, this is a tiny little refrigerator, it's maybe four foot by four foot, but it has over a million dollars in chemotherapy meds inside of it. And this thing's lined with six inches of lead, because it's radioactive, the different stuff. So it's like they have to And while it wasn't difficult, it was just you had to be so methodical in the way you worked on it. And you had to be 100% sure that everything was tip top. So that was just a simple one. But then you would go work on an exhaust fan. It was where they would mix the chemotherapy meds. And you'd go work on an exhaust fan. And you'd realize as you walk up to the exhaust fan, everything is a certain color around the floor of the exhaust fan. And they run, when they're mixing these chemotherapy meds, they would run it through HEPA filters. But still, you could tell that there was something going on with the air coming out of there because the roof would be a different color around it. And again, my employees didn't feel comfortable with that. When you'd ask the hospital staff and you're like, is this safe for me to work on this? And they're like, yeah, it's fine. And it's like, I don't know. And people are probably screaming at me saying it's no big deal, but my guys didn't feel comfortable. So to long story short, Yes, I've had to learn to understand that my company has to stay within its lanes. And it's really easy to delve out of that just because I'm having fun. It's easy to go down the path where maybe the employees don't enjoy it.
0: Yeah, saying no is an art. And it's also liberating and you can't let it bring any negative or disappointment. Just be clean about saying no. Yeah,
1: that's what I've had to learn. And don't string somebody along halfway through the project and then say no. <laughs> yeah, it's easy as a business owner. People ask me questions. My viewers on the social media side, they'll say, Have you ever thought about getting into supermarket refrigeration? Have you ever thought about getting into VRF work? And it all sounds intriguing to me, but I have to be careful because. That's not necessarily where my employees want to go. We run a family company. That's another thing to say, too. We run a family company. We try to pay attention as much as possible and care about our employees, and they mean something to me. They're not just a number. They mean something to me. So I have to pay attention to their needs and their wants, too. And I don't want to overload them with the stuff that they don't want to do. Yeah, it can be a bad spiral down.
0: So you mentioned a little bit earlier about installing an AC in your home. You're doing some work on your own house. What prompted
1: that? What's your vision and how's things moving along? As detail-oriented as I am, I also sometimes ignore things that are right in front of my face. So I've lived in this house for eight years. I've known that the air conditioning system in my house was oversized. It's just not something that I really prioritized. It was just one of those things where I was just like, eh, it works, I'm fine. We're in Southern California. We have pretty high energy prices. And it was almost like, it was just slowly the prices kept going up of my electricity bill. And it was just like, eh, you just put it I don't want to sound like I'm gloating, but I put my electric bill on auto pay and you just let it do its thing. And then every once in a while you look back and you're like, oh, that was an expensive month. And oh, and then you start getting $800 a month electric bills. And I'm like, what is going on here? So I start reflecting on my home energy usage, and it's not just my air conditioning system. And this, again, hyper-obsessing about things, I started to go down a deep dive. And I realized, okay, it's time to change my air conditioning system. It's still working, but I started to go down, and I really started to research the home performance side of things. I'm seeing these social media groups, and again, some of my friends, too, they're all posting about home performance. And it's like, Hey, I want to change the air conditioner in my house, but I don't want to just change the air conditioner. Let's address the envelope. Let's address the leakage in my house. Let's look at my home energy consumption. One of the biggest things about my home is that we were not using it correctly. Okay. And what I say by that, and I've created videos and I'm trying to be as transparent as possible about this home performance upgrade. But the first video on my channel, or the first video of my home performance series was me going around showing how i use my house and how i incorrectly use it the biggest thing is we have a converted garage in our home so we have originally a three-car garage before i moved into it one of the single car side of the three-car garage had been turned into a room okay so we moved into the house and we opened the door to our garage and propped it open permanently and we have cats that stay in that room and they come without the house in and out of the house but the cat boxes are in there So what that did was that room is not sealed, it's not air sealed. So it just has a roll up single bay garage door that's insulated, but it doesn't do much. So you've got a lot of heat infiltration just from that room coming into the house. Then periodically, over time, someone opened a door and knocked a hole in the wall, tiny little hole from a doorknob or something. And I just I'll get to it one of these days and it never became a priority. So I addressed that and I put a blower door on my house and I started to look at the air leakage. And then I did a few tests. We leave a window open in one of my bathrooms all the time to let air in and out because it doesn't have an exhaust vent. So I ran the blower door test and started testing the air leakage with the house as we used it. I want to say we were pretty close to 20, I think it was 2300 at CFM 50 was the leakage when we started the first blower door as we used the house. And then I started to correct the low-hanging fruit, shut the garage door, train ourselves, patch up the holes, train ourselves in the walls, and then started working through the process. And this just led me down a rabbit hole of addressing the envelope leakage in my house, of trying to reduce my energy consumption. I'm still in the process of changing my system. The selection process of the type of equipment that I want to go with has just been mind consuming for me. I've just been deep diving into brands, asking a million questions, looking at technical specs. I'm trying to find this perfect system. And in all honesty, I'm probably going to be disappointed no matter what piece of equipment I go with. But I don't know, I'm just obsessing about the type of equipment. And along the way, I've been fortunate that I have some friends in high places, including you, and I've been able to be educated within the industry about a whole new aspect, and that's home performance. And it's been very interesting. And I'm also realizing it's scary too. How, when you really start thinking about home performance, and you really start thinking like, how is this even going to be feasible for the entire industry to start adopting these best practices, to stop just changing an air conditioner and start paying attention to the house itself? It really goes down to the contractor themselves when they're building the house and building the houses correctly. But now I'm trying to take a 1980s home and air seal it as best as possible. And it's like, oh my gosh, your wheels start spinning and you start going crazy. So I've definitely gone deep in my home air conditioner replacement. And it just started as an air conditioner. And now I'm fixing air leakage. I'm sealing holes. I'm sealing can lights. I'm just going all over the place with this. You're Probably of the age group where you're familiar with the book called Give a Mouse a Cookie. If you give a mouse a cookie, that's you. hundred <laughs> percent, yeah. If This isn't with my peculiar type of way that I do things. My brain is just eating this alive. Just like, oh yeah, let's go this and let's go this and let's go deeper and let's go deeper and deeper. And you're just like, oh my gosh, where am I at now? It's definitely interesting. It starts to make you realize that something that I never thought about was analyzing my energy consumption, right, as far down as this studio that I'm sitting in right now that I use to edit content, this computer that I have right here that puts out 2000 BTUs of heat, this adds 2000 BTUs of heat to the load on my house. And how do you size for that? Because if I size for my computer, then it's technically probably going to overheat the rest of my house because my computer is not always running, but it's really uncomfortable in my room in the summer. So it's like, what do I do? So you have to look for a supplementary cooling system for my office alone, and then you're like, do I really want to spend six thousand dollars just to cool my office? These are all these weird things that you have to start going down, and it's a very interesting process for sure. Move the computer outside to keep the cats warm. A lot of people have thought about that. A lot of people have said, man, put an exhaust duct, do this, do water cooling, drill holes in the wall, like. And I'm just like, oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> I love this conversation, but I want to be respectful of your time. One more question. Your thoughts on electrification. What does it mean to you? What's going on?
1: Positive pros and cons. Okay, so I see it from a few different angles, but electrification, I do understand why it is beneficial. I do understand how it can help us. Reducing carbon emissions, I think, is a big game changer. But my problem with electrification is that I live in Southern California, okay? Southern California has a horrible power grid, we're overpopulated. We don't have enough energy, much like the rest of the country. If you put our population into any state in the United States, they would have the same problems as we do, okay? Because we have dense populations in certain areas. I'm worried about the electrification process just on the simple aspect of how are we going to implement this? With electric cars, again, I think it's a good thing. But I feel like we're going to electrify everything, but we haven't figured out how we're going to get there yet. We haven't figured out how we're going to deliver all that power on a consistent basis. And we have a lot of novel ideas about battery backups and solar and wind and everything. But I see the frustrating part of it and the downside of it too. And I don't know how we're going to get there. But I do acknowledge that it is important. And I think that it is the answer. Someone's probably going to scream at me for saying this, but I really do think that nuclear is the only way that it's really going to work. But it's implementing that a safe way and getting to that point when it comes to everything that we do, especially here in California, it seems like we plan and we plan and we plan and it takes 10 years to get something approved. And then by the time we implement it, well, the population's grown 10 times since we implemented that approval. So I agree that electrification is the way to go, but it's how we're going to deliver that power in a consistent basis and economical basis too. So I'm worried about that. I don't know. Same thing with the whole dealing with home performance, like I know that we all need to address the home performance side, but I worry about how we're going to get the general public of contractors to follow the best practices to get to that point. So I definitely think it's the way to go, though. You even mentioned like in your own case, just monitoring was revealing. It was very revealing and started my monitoring. I wish I would have put a monitoring system on my house sooner because I put the monitoring system on my house August 1st of 2022. So I've got data to analyze from the end of the summer until now. It's very eye-opening, though, to see electrical consumption and be able to see that the biggest use cases in my house alone, and this is a problem that we have, the biggest energy consumer is actually the indoor fan on my furnace, okay? And it's because I have a massively oversized furnace. And because of the lack of airflow across my furnace, it makes a lot of noise. And my family has gotten used to that white noise. So we run our indoor fan all the time. And that's the way that everybody sleeps. And I have it set on a timer that at 630 in the morning, the timer goes off and the fan shuts off and everybody in my house wakes up. But because of having that energy monitor on there, again, I'm not a dumb person. Like I know that consumes energy. But when you quantify it and you can see it, you're like, whoa. That's what's causing my high energy bills right there.
0: Which monitoring system did you use?
1: The Emporia. I have the Emporia view, I believe is what it is. And I will say that I wish that they had the capabilities of adding more sensors to their system because it's a little frustrating because I think one of mine is actually monitoring a sub panel, but I can't monitor every individual item within that sub panel. So I know how to analyze it, but...
0: Yeah, that one I highly recommend. And on this podcast, I interviewed the founder of the company, Sean McLaughlin. That's an interesting interview to hear his
1: perspective. So Interesting. And I do appreciate, too, with the way that the industry is changing, how easy it is to trend data these days. Between following the Emporia Energy Monitor or whatever thermostat you put in, a good majority of them have great trending data that you can see. I happen to have a Ecobee. So it has great trending data that you can see. And that's really fun too. My friend, Adam Muffich, was the one that turned me on to the Ecobee. And it's really neat because when Adam is helping me do the load calculation on my house, and he's like, look, dude, you're massively oversized. And I'm like, I know I'm oversized, but I don't think it's that much. And then you can look at everything. Now, of course, we're not using the thermostat data just to size the load on my house, but it just quantifies the fact that it's massively oversized because when you can see cycle times and how long it actually runs and for how short of a period of time, and then you have a proper load calculation breaking down the nitty gritty, and then you have a blower door and you can look at all those numbers and put them together and be like, wow, okay, yeah, I am massively oversized. It helps you to feel more comfortable when you find out that the system that I'm going to put in my house is less than half the size of what I'm currently running right now. Wow. So you're going to help the grid once you get it fixed. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. But it's still, even though, again, I consider myself to be a smart person and I know that my system's oversized, it's still a little unnerving putting something in that small and it's like, but I live in California. It gets to be 120 degrees here. There's no way my systems can be sized that small. But it's like, it is. We'll take care of the needs. Yeah. Just calm down. And also just believe in the load calculation. Trust the load calculation. Because if you break it down you look at it, it's like, no, this is going to work. Really cool.
0: Thank you for coming on podcast. We've known each other for a few years. I wanted to do this. I'm glad we got finally got a chance to do this. And you're doing it as your day breaks. And then you got to get to work.
1: Any closing thoughts for the listeners? First, I want to say thank you. This has been an awesome experience. But as far as the listeners go, we were talking earlier about the big picture diagnoses. And I think that is, again, I use that in all aspects of my life. This may sound corny. This may sound whatever. But if you can, just slow down, take a step back, and look at the big picture. So many things within your life, whether it be work, whether it be home stuff, will be easier To recognize from a different perspective, from a step back position, I found that to be a very, very useful tool in how I approach any problem.
0: Very good. I was speaking with somebody the other day, and we are talking about just speaking and presenting, and I called it the power of the pause when you speak to let things sink in. Sometimes people just want to get it all out. That's my tendency, too. But I think this is on the same spectrum the power of the pause when you think it through. Think about the ramifications.
1: A hundred percent, I agree. And it's so helpful, again, reflecting on myself, and I encourage everybody to reflect on themselves too. Whenever you have any sort of an issue before, you act on it, just reflect on yourself and think like, how can this be created by me? How is something that I'm doing possibly gonna be part of the problem? And then you may find that it's not, and then you address it however you need to, but I always reflect on myself first. And the thing I think people often forget, myself included, is that the only thing you're in control of is yourself. That is 100% true. And I think I forget that often too. So I'm in control of the stop button and I'm going to take action on it right now. <laughs> Thanks again, Chris. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Building HPC Science Podcast. Hopefully you get something out of this episode. And it's worth the time I put into it. In any case, even if no one listens, I still have fun interviewing these guests. If you want to keep up with other things that I find interesting, follow me on either Facebook or Building HVAC Science or True Tech. I'm kind of out there. Or LinkedIn. I'm sure you can connect with me. Or drop me a line. fill at truetechtools.com. There's other great trade-related resources which I like to encourage you to look at are HVAC Our School, HVAC Shop Talk, Stephen Reardon, HVAC Reefer Guy, Tool Pros, Service Business Mastery, Quality HVAC, HVAC Overtime, Chris Stevens, my guest today, is one of the four people on that show, HVAC our Videos, which is Chris Stevens's Passion Project, HomeDiagnosis.tv, AC Service Tech, and MeasureQuick. I also host the Res Talk podcast, where you can learn more about home energy ratings and other peripheral topics. I want to thank you again for listening to the Building HVAC Science podcast. Until next time, take care.